This is District Sentinel Radio. It's the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. And we're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Hey, this is the show we do for you, our subscribers. Thanks so much for your support. I have the garbage can coming out later. Boya Follies in just a little bit. First, the breaking news here, SK. Breaking news? Civ 7 in development. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. I guess. I mean, should I be excited? I don't know if I have time to play it anymore, but <laughs> I'll find time. Yeah. I will find time. We we killed a lot of hours playing Civ Six and, and Civ Five. Maybe we could get a multiplayer going. Play just you know forty five, thirty minutes a day. I wouldn't. I would like that. Remember when we considered having a Civ community with our audience on the on the podcast, and then we just never, never, never did, did it. it. Maybe we will for Civ Seven. We probably won't, but that would be cool if we did. <laughs> Something else we used to do, remember uh, building rockets. We got back into like building model rockets, or at least I did. And we uh, set one off, right, with, with M-Ray. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The, uh, the slow motion lens came out. Yeah, I got back into it with the SD's rockets that you get from the hobby shop. I built this nice-ass rocket, went out to the nearby field, shot it up into the sky and no joke an f-22 comes flying by me and fires a sidewinder missile and blows it out of the sky <laughs> huge if true everyone can rest easy biden is protecting our skies the president coming out on thursday and pretty much admitting that the three objects that they blew out of the sky this week or last weekend uh, were probably just like research vessels or weather balloons or hobby stuff. And honestly, we still have not seen any evidence presented by the administration or the Pentagon that disproves China's claim that this was just a weather balloon. So for all we know, it could be four weather balloons that we have spent $2 million in missiles blowing out of the sky. This makes me think that in a few weeks or maybe a few days even, someone's going to uh, like check their data that they only check once every few weeks on, on their weather balloon and realize that it's been destroyed by the United States government. And uh, good, good luck suing them. I, I kind of hope this happens. I, I hope... Someone sues the government for taking down their uh, their Pico balloon. Well, let me tell you, that is a concern for the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade because they actually they actually did that. And they think that their balloon was shot down by one of these F-22s. Aviation Week uh, has this story out. I'll just read from it. The club's silver-coated party-style Pico balloon reported its last position on February 10th at 38,910 feet off the west coast of Alaska. And a popular forecasting tool, the high-split model, provided by the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, 
projected the cylindrically shaped object would be floating high over the central part of the Yukon Territory on February 11th. That is the same day a Lockheed Martin F-22 shot down an unidentified object of a similar description and altitude in the same general area. Wow. Yeah. Don't tread on my balloon. The story goes on to note that the descriptions of all three unidentified objects shot down February 10th through 12th match the shapes, altitudes, and payloads of the small Pico balloons, which can usually be purchased for $12 to $180 each, depending on the type. So for just $12... Or sorry, maybe not twelve dollars, but for could be though forty eight dollars, you can make the United States government waste two million dollars. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and these these balloons have like a little tether attached with a locator and some radio antennas, so that people can locate where the balloons are on ham radio as they like float across the world. And should we we float one up? Should we get a Sentinel one, a Sentinel balloon? Uh, we could probably. (laughs) We we got to find our nearby, uh, Pico balloon community, some nearby enthusiasts. But these people are concerned. Like, there's a lot of these balloons up there, and they're concerned that they're all just going to start getting shot down right now. I think we should write "suck it, Air Force" on our balloon thing about it is no one seems to be embarrassed by this like this is a, this this is veep style embarrassment for the president and the pentagon to like panic and start shooting down hobby enthusiast like hobbyists weather balloons and ham radio enthusiasts like balloons this and and biden comes out and says yeah we shot down three of them. And then I see Alyssa Slotkin, a Democrat rep. I think she's one of the former CIA agents as well within the Democratic caucus or former military or something. Uh, and she was asked by one of the anchors, uh, was it a bit of an overreaction to shoot down these objects? And she's like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So it's not just that Biden freaked out and shot down three weather balloons and blew two million dollars doing it. Not that I care about the money, but it just shows the scale, the the proportion of this. But Democrats are like fucking applauding them for it. Yeah, I mean, this is this came after mass hysteria over the Chinese research balloon. And, um, you know, this is just one of those things that uh, I hope that historians don't look back on it and say, oh, yeah, this, this, uh, you look at this incident um, and it tells you a lot about what was to come. You know, I I hope that's not the case, but it feels like it will be like 80 years from now. Yeah, World War whatever was 
uh, totally predictable in, in the uh, in the context of the great balloon freakout of 2023. Well, you do have Republican politicians who are fundraising off the balloon, calling Biden weak and claiming that it was balloon boy, a Chinese invasion. So naturally, Biden's going to react and start shooting down Pika balloons. <laughs> but also, you do have calls to increase Pentagon spending now to deal with the balloon threat. And there were some really gullible people who were like Republicans. They're, they're going to come in and they're going to trim the defense budget. You know, Republicans are the only party talking about trimming the defense budget because you had some of these right wingers who pretend to be uh, anti-war or, you know, anti-defense industry and yet fundraise off the defense industry. And but. Like they're just looking for a reason, obviously, to once again, increase defense spending as they always do in if if. You know, our massive defense budget clearly it clearly can't protect us from the balloon threat. So we need to give the Defense Department probably another couple hundred billion dollars to protect us from the balloon threat. You know, this maybe it's too esoteric, but. I think that some of this is motivated by like yellow peril style um you know anti-asian sentiment that and and draws on the fact that during world war ii the japanese army sent balloon bombs over the pacific um to attack the pacific northwest and they were very ineffective yeah but i think they freaked a lot of people out well i, I mean it's it's kind of the opposite in the sense that oh, it's time, totally the opposite. Yeah, at the, but I mean, in the way the U.S. government reacted, where they made sure to keep it a secret what was going on because they didn't want the population to freak out. They didn't want oh, the yes. population to think that like, oh well, the Japanese can attack us. And now it's totally reversed, where we have to drive people into a madness for uh, either you know, political ends to make your political opponent look weak or to increase the defense budget, which, I mean, let's be honest, you don't really need a particular reason to do that each year. It seems to just be able to grow on whatever, but this is a, a hella convenient one right now to use. So it's, it's, and all of it is, you know, well, that that at least is based sort of on, you know, a, 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 like a, a motive to accumulate capital. And, you know, obviously the, the the political attacks are from that motivation as well. But it's kind of like it's so silly. It's so silly when you take a step back from it. But it has yeah. like led to this sort of chilling between relation in relations between the U.S. and China. And it's I don't think it's going to be this thing that that like leads us necessarily immediately to war next year. But it's shit like this that over the long haul keeps building where it's like from a Chinese perspective, especially if 
the U.S. is like shooting down some weather balloons. And again, maybe it was a spy balloon. I haven't seen any evidence to disprove Chinese claims. And I just generally, um, you know, I, I think if the U.S. had pretty definitive evidence, we'd release it pretty fast. <laughs> but um, or the U.S. government would. Yeah, like it could be. But if if it's just a weather balloon and the U.S. is like shooting it down, claiming that we're under siege by Chinese balloons, increasing the defense budget and taking more aggressive postures uh, in that area, then that causes the Chinese to be more defensive or more, uh, you know, quick to quick to draw in a situation that could escalate into a war. Right, yeah. No, I, I was thinking like this along with the Nancy Pelosi um, visiting Taiwan, like their data points. And it's that. also stupid. It's not based on anything legitimate, but I guess it does, it does sort of, it's the public facing justifications for an underlying economic war that's going on between the US and China where you can make a big deal of these balloons and then use it to sanction China. Right, which makes me uh, think that, his, hope that they won't, but think that one day historians will look at these and, and say like, oh, of course, like we were barreling towards uh, greater conflict when you look at these ridiculous freakouts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <laughs> Good point about the censorship, though. I totally forgotten about that uh, aspect of the Japan balloon story. And uh, it's totally the opposite. The freakouts. Uh, just another reason why you should watch Canadian Bacon about the uh, uh, working backwards to justify uh, or, or to find a threat and to um, scream as loudly about it as possible. Yeah. And that's not to justify the secrecy either, because in keeping it a secret, it led to people actually dying because they didn't know what the fuck it was and found like a group of kids found one and started kicking it. Yeah. And, you know, had the community known that these things were around and to be on the lookout for them, that probably wouldn't have happened. So, uh, you know, be smart about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sam, I was watching a Senate hearing this week and I almost became ill when I heard this for the first time. Thank you, Senator Vance of Ohio is recognized. <laughs> this was before the Senate Banking Committee, which of course J.D. Vance is on as a venture capitalist sicko with close ties to Peter Thiel. The subject of the hearing was the ongoing crypto crash and the need for regulators to step it up. And here was Vance's take. What I, what I wonder is, how people would have described the internet in the 1970s, the 1980s, uh, before it was it was commercially available, before it was a major part of the way that we did commerce, and that if we had taken an overbearing approach then, we might have destroyed a lot of the upside that have come, come over the last three decades. Well, the internet exists because of the government, because of Pentagon research, <laughs> so warning that an overbearing government could have crushed the internet which was started by an overbearing government, is insanely stupid. Mm. And it was obvious from the start that the internet would revolutionize communications. What if you could write something on one terminal and you could see it on another miles away? Very easy to explain to people at the time how innovative it was on its face, right? 
crypto on its face is a casino chip for a casino that doesn't even have any games. It's been around for over a decade, and no one has articulated what crypto's actual use value is. Fortunately, one witness made that point to Vance, Duke Financial Economics Center Policy Director Lee Reiners put the freshman senator in his place. I respond by saying that crypto is not new. Uh, the first Bitcoin transaction was in uh, 2009. So we have a 14-year track record to look back and assess this. And it didn't take the internet 14 years to prove its worth. And so when you look at cryptocurrencies, I would just ask, what's the fundamental value? Why are they worth anything? Normal financial assets are someone else's liability, right? There's an issuer. Otherwise, where would the returns come from? So there's no reason to think that cryptocurrency is going to generate returns indefinitely into the future. It's clear that people are just buying it because they think they can sell it to someone else at a higher price in the future. Unfortunately, another witness demonstrated why fintech vampires like Peter Thiel want advance elected in the first place. They themselves are insanely stupid. Here was Linda Jang, a Georgetown scholar who also has a job called Chief Global Regulatory Officer for the Crypto Council for Innovation, which, as it sounds, is an industry-funded trade group. And uh, she was vibing with Teal, of course. Uh, sorry, with J.D. Vance. Vibing with Teal, vibing with Vance. What's the difference? Anyway, here's the clip. Thank you, Senator. I like very much your analogy to the internet. Um, I was just speaking with a colleague of mine at Wharton who had began his legal career um, at the FCC, and he told me at that time, uh, and I'm dating his his age uh, very clearly, but uh, he said one of the big fights at the FCC was whether to license uh, internet uh, charters. I don't even know what that means, uh, but it but it. The question was, should internet providers have to register with the FCC? Should uh, page providers, site providers, et cetera? And, and if they had decided yes, I think the internet would be very different today. You know what? Half the internet today is people selling fake money and cartoon monkeys that anyone can right-click and copy. So you know what? Maybe every web page should have to register with regulators. That's what the crypto dicks have done. They've turned online into a Ponzi scheme. Someone needs to step in. Someone needed to step in years ago. Well, it might be too late to do anything. Crypto could very well be on its way out on its own after what we've seen over the past 12 months. The uh, industry is kind of eating itself. Unfortunately, with J.D. Vance in the Senate, crypto will go out kicking and screaming as loudly and stupidly as possible. It, how embarrassing it is to still be like repping crypto right now or, or comparing it to the internet when are, are NFTs even still around? Obviously, though, the reason why it appeals to a guy like Peter, uh, like J.D. Vance, who I may as well just call him Peter Thiel for the rest of the time he's in office because, you know, you know who who, who signs his checks. Um but it, it the the whole reason for crypto is obviously it's a it, it's a ticket to an unregulated industry. That's why they like it. Because if you're in the crypto sphere, it, it's it's harder for regulate or it has been harder for regulators uh, to come down on you. Anyway. Turns out there was a uh, D.C. police officer who was having communications or giving 
intelligence and information to the leader of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tarrio, uh, ahead of January 6th, 2021. This is according to text messages that were uh, released during a trial of Tario and a couple other Proud Boys. Um, some of these are kind of fucked up, the messages, the communications that were being had here. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think the I think the most messed up one, and a lot of it is just kind of, um, it's like Tario probing. It's more Tario probing for information and the cop getting the information rather than the cop like probing for information. And there's one instance where in a message to Tario on December 11th, 2020, Lamond, this is the uh, officer, and this is the Associated Press uh, report on the trial. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yes. In a message to Tario on December 11th, 2020, Lamont told him about the whereabouts of anti-fascist activists. The officer asked Tario if he should share that information with uniformed police officers or keep it to himself. Now, that would suggest that the officers like, do you want to go fuck these Act these anti-fascist activists up like before we respond should we give you all space to do this was that the night that talia jane got stabbed or like you know her ear was slightly cut i don't know but weird weird who would have thought who would have thought cops and fascists uh, together? I mean, everyone would have thought that because we've all seen that play out in the open over the past few years of, uh, you know, we've seen the buddy-buddy relationship between the far right and law enforcement. Um, it still is kind of jarring to hear or to read um, the actual communications between them, though. Yeah, and this... Uh... He's a police lieutenant, Shane Lamont. Uh, he also gave Tario a heads up that they're seeking a warrant for his arrest, which seems to go a little bit beyond an intelligence-seeking mission. Sure does. Also, uh, this this was a, um, a, a chilling text exchange. Uh, December 13th, Tario asked Lamont what the police department's general consensus was about the Proud Boys. That's too complicated for a text answer, Lamond replied. That's an in-person conversation over a beer. It's like... Uh, why, is it, why is it complicated? That's like when you FOIA call me. That's... <sighs> anyway, uh, reports of police collaborating with proud boys in the run-up to january 6th uh man you just sort of wish there was some congressional investigation into these events that <laughs> looked into these ties and released some evidence about them um that would be that would be interesting yeah i i mean this this really i it seems it seems like it was unlikely that um, the committee was unaware of this. It seems like the committee must have known for sure 
that this was coming. And they probably couldn't have talked about it because it was evidence in an upcoming trial. But they certainly could have used it to highlight other things that weren't um, privileged information as as the committee's lead investigator wanted them to do. Anyway, just just another another thing that makes me want to give. Sorry, what? I, I, just before we end the story, I just want to give a shout out. It was uh, Valentine's Day week, and I want to say a happy Valentine's Day to Senator Chris Coons, who, if <laughs> people might remember, derailed the impeachment into uh, Donald Trump after in the weeks after January sixth, in the month month after January sixth. Completely derailed the impeachment, refused to support calling witnesses in that wit- in that trial, witnesses who would later be called during this congressional investigation that uncovered a lot of pretty wild stuff. Um, yeah, he refused uh, to support calling witnesses, lobbied against it, and eventually Democrats folded all because he wanted to get home to his wife for Valentine's Day. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Coons. <laughs> ultimate uh, I, wife I guy. Ultimate, ultimate wife guy. Nothing that being a wife guy is great, I will say. Um I don't think my wife would have wanted me to <laughs> to shorten the impeachment hearings to come. So home you're blaming Chris Coons' wife? No, I'm blaming Chris Coons. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you, there's a, like I, anything, this, like anything, I, you can take it to the extreme, right? You could take yeah, wife, being I, a wife guy to the extreme to where you're. Um, it seems like he's using being a wife guy more as an excuse. Like, I don't think Mrs. Coons was like, hey, look, oh. um, this hugely important historical trial. I think Chris Coons was just being a, a, a twerp about it. He's like, God damn it, it's Valentine's Day. I got to get home. Okay. I got to. I you thought know? he was being genuine. I thought he might be being genuine. I thought he might be like, I've got, you know, a really, I'm really looking forward to this date with my wife. <laughs> and, I don't know. I He strikes me as a fake wife guy. I don't right. think a real wife guy would invoke his wife like that well, as is... like, as, as something, as, as a point of controversy in a heated impeachment trial. Well, this is something we'll keep an eye on. And if the audience has any information about Chris Coons, if they've seen him out with his wife for dinner and seen how he behaves, and they can provide some useful information to us. Uh, we'd appreciate to be clear, that. I'm not accusing Chris Coons of adultery or anything like that. There's a difference no. be- between being an adulterer and being a fake wife guy. And I don't know. I think he did his wife a disservice by invoking her as a reason in a political okay. controversy that's fucked up yeah that would be Mrs. really Coons fucked up. deserves better that would be really fucked up and if anyone if anyone is ever interviewing chris coons's wife they should <laughs> ask her this they should ask her what they were doing for valentine's day 2021 and whether or not she would have cared if her husband stayed in D.C. to proceed with the impeachment hearing. Well, I'll tell you another member of Congress uh, this reminds me of, or former member of Congress, um, is Adam Kinzinger. 
And uh, this just makes me want to give him a wedgie even more when I see him on Twitter. Looks like President Biden still doesn't care about fears that the Fed is putting the economy into recession. This week, it was announced that Biden is appointing new officials to lead a White House advisory board, the National Economic Council. And among those he picked was Lael Brainerd, who is the most influential liberal on the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. She's the vice chair, number two uh, behind JP, Jerome Powell. What that means is starting next month until she's replaced, there will be one less voting member of the Fed board who has been critical of the aggressive interest rate hikes sought by Powell. This is from the Wall Street Journal's analysis. Brainerd, quote, had become one of the Fed's most persuasive policy doves, officials who think high inflation is likely to slow as lingering effects of the pandemic reverse and who want to minimize potential job losses. By contrast, the central bank's hawks more readily embrace stiffer measures to curb inflation. The journal also noted that even though Mr. Biden could replace Ms. Brainerd at the Fed with someone who shares her outlook, it's far from certain they could bring the same caliber and influence to the position. So uh, remember when Trump was screaming at Powell on Twitter about interest rates being too high? Uh, well, it turns out he was taking a better approach to monetary policy than his Democratic predecessor. Or pre not predecessor. Fuck. What's the one who comes after him? <laughs> Successor. Successor. <laughs> ah, anyway, it's time for file follies. And with the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, still in the news, this week's file follies involve, you guessed it, the Department of Transportation. First, we're filing another request based on our previous request, which revealed Secretary Mayor Pete's schedule for his first few weeks in office. Go back and listen to our episode on it. There were a lot of TV media appearances and meetings with CEOs and trade associations on his schedule. Well, looking back, Buttigieg met with the Association of American Railroads, a trade association that played a key role lobbying for the repeal of Obama-era regulations during the Trump administration, Buttigieg also had a briefing on rail labor, and he had a meeting with the CEO of a freight railway company, BNSF. So I'm filing requests for all records related to those meetings. Who knows? Maybe uh, Buttigieg will in some ways discuss his vision of how the agency should enforce the, uh, the regulations on its books, and uh, maybe he tipped his hand a little. I would not be surprised if that were the case. I'm also filing a request for records related to a Department of Transportation tweet sent in response to David Sirota, who, with his team at Lever News, has published numerous articles on how Buttigieg has not revisited safety rule rollbacks enacted under Trump's DOT. Here's how the exchange went down. Sirota. Responding to at Lever News reporting and pressure from Democratic officials, at Secretary Pete now insists he has no power to improve safety and reduce the risk of derailments. Legal experts and former regulators say that's false. Link to story. United States Department of Transportation. 
This is flat out false. There are constraints, but as DOT has made clear, we will look to the NTSB investigation, National Transportation Safety Board investigation, to take action necessary to ensure accountability and improve safety. So I'm going to ask the comms office and the office of the secretary for all electronic records related to the reply. Uh, you can you sort of hear Pete's voice in that reply, can't you? <laughs> I can Again, God, the the Buttigieg defenders have been awful online. The Buttigieg oh, defenders didn't... this week have. I, I'm surprised I didn't. We don't. We might nominate them for the garbage can later as well. But they, <laughs> uh, they've been insufferable. Like, they have been, and and you know, for for people who think that you know who supposedly love Pete because he's so smart and he he knows what he's doing. Like, these people don't know shit. They're just like, oh, I see you're blaming Pete again for Iowa 2020. And it's like, did you read the article? Did you fucking read the article? This, be serious, man. This, the, your man is head of an agency. He's head of a federal government agency with real power and real responsibility that others before him have exercised. Yeah, it's always interesting how uh, anytime you ask ask a government official, a democratic government official to do something. They're like, it takes time. We, we need to proceed with caution. And then you, we've just witnessed like we're, Trump caused, you know, he's, he's caused a staffing crisis. He's helped cause a staffing crisis at the EPA by just repealing a ton of uh, regu regulations and completely changed the culture there to where the, the mission of the EPA is now been perverted and the number of enforcement actions they've brought against companies is at like an all-time low in in a yeah, okay. in, that's during a, a democratic president yes however we both know that any sort of allusion to the administrative procedures act is complete bullshit because if they were interested yeah. in improving safety, yes, the process is long, but he's almost been secretary for two years. There is, you can, you show you want to take steps. You do requests for information. You say, you've, you know, you're studying the issue. You propose rules. A proposed rule is not a final rule. It, you know, they haven't even tried proposing rules. They don't even say they're looking into the issue. Yeah. And, uh, and his, and his fans have the nerve to be like, well, oh, it takes a long time to propose a rule. It does. And and the DOT under Buttigieg hasn't even tried to start it. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll look instead of like, you know, getting mad at nameless people, I'll quote one of them. And Aaron Gordon's a pretty reasonable guy. He's a, in transportation infrastructure reporter advice. But he's tweeting, the federal rulemaking process takes 18 to 24 months minimum. Then there's a window, usually of years, until compliance is mandatory. Pete Buttigieg became Secretary of Transportation two years ago. It takes some wild logic to blame him for the Ohio derailment. Now, first off, in this tweet, he says it takes 24 months to create a rule. And then later in the same tweet, he notes that Pete Buttigieg has been Transportation Secretary for two years ago. So if Pete Buttigieg, on the day he came into office decided to make a rule, it would be in the stages of where it would be being close to being finalized, which might have spurred some ex some action by the railroad companies already, 
One. Two, he could be walking around right now pointing at this incident and saying, this is exactly why we need these regulations in place that I've been fighting for, that I proposed two years ago. We need to get this across the finish line. He's not doing any of that. And he didn't propose any regulations. You and I were writing about fucking bomb trains back in 2014. And we're not that, I mean, we're not experts in this field. We're not, we don't cover this. We, you know, we cover a broad range of stuff. We don't focus on transportation issues. But you and I have been aware of this problem on the railroads. And you can go back to our archive on districtcentral.com. And we've written about these regulations to be applied to trains and how they've been whittled down or uh, how how companies have been lobbying against putting them in place and how the federal government transportation department has not been aggressive in enforcing these regulations on trains. The transportation secretary on day one should be aware that, whoa, there's a thousand derailments a year. Whoa, what's going on here? Oh, there's this threat that the worker workers have had their job slash and trains are carrying these hazardous chemicals around communities all the time. Like, what are we going to do about this? And if Pete Buttigieg did anything like that, we'd be cutting him some slack right now. Like, I, I mean, I hate Pete, but, you know, if he had proposed this rule and it was he was fighting for stuff to get, you know, certain chemical trains to be classified in a way to where they had to abide by speed regula- regulations and maintenance regulations and forcing companies to perform certain maintenance checks all the time, or at least, uh, you know, enforcing regulations that already exist or tightening them up. If he had done any of these things, I'd cut him some slack, but he's done none of these things. He deserves no defense here. No defense at all. None, none. Uh, I will say, though, there were some good replies to the USDOT reply. Uh, they are definitely worth noting for the record. Oh, yeah, let's hear At R6 writer said, turns out appointing someone to a cabinet position as a bribe for dropping out of the presidential primary isn't a good job qualification. Weird. Mm. At mm. Patrick Finnellan said, are you saying you're not constrained or that you have actually done the things outlined in the piece above? Because both can't be false. At the hay market, the article laid out multiple regulatory steps you could have taken as early as the first 100 days and chose not to. These are not new issues. Passing the buck to the NTSB, who already asked the DOT for these changes, is pure cowardice and political deflection. And last but not least, friend of the show, at Mr. Too Damn Chris, said... Pete, log out of this account. This is embarrassing. <laughs> I, I really do have trouble coming up with a cabinet secretary who has presided over more disasters in his portfolio or her portfolio that they oversee that they have done so little to respond to Putting aside people who are in the position to deliberately sabotage the department, like, you know, Betsy DeVos at the Education Department and whatever, and various Republican uh, secretaries. Like, what is Pete doing? What is he doing? He's clearly just biding his time. And I bet Biden made a deal with him where he's like, come be my transportation secretary and, you know, 
you'll be in line to be the next nominee. Or if I get reelected, you'll be my vice. Maybe, maybe they'll run Pete as vice president and promise Kamala like secretary of state position or something. But I I can see them giving Pete like secretary of state too next term. Cause he'll just continue to fail up, up, up until he's the democratic nominee. And then he'll get crushed by 20 points and then he'll be the nominee again four years later and he'll get crushed again. This is, this is, this is what's going to happen to Pete. It's not a bad guess. Anyway, are we moving on to the garbage can? What else you got here? Um, no, that that's it. I've, I'm focused on mayor Pete today and the DOT. And, well, everyone uh, is as we all should be. It, and, and, you know, new requests, new requests coming in and a new request building on an old request. I like that because I can go to the DOT with an incredibly specific thing. And if you've ever filed a FOIA request and gotten response before, you know that the more specific you can be, the harder they can deny you. <laughs> and at least that denial comes more quickly and they have to jump through hoops to... Uh, uh, to give it to you, but maybe in this case I'll I'll get something here because um, you know the deliberative process only applies so much when you're meeting with outside groups. All right, should we bring out the uh, GC? Let's do it. Interns, bring out that garbage can. Ooh. Oh, oh man. Well, the good the good thing about um, the lack of regulation of the freight rail industry is that we got this. Um, we got this toxic waste and sludge real cheap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've thrown all the um, Super Bowl party leftovers into that. Ooh. Um, it is gross. I've got like bean dip and guacamole in there that's just been festering for a while. Some like hot dogs. I think those are hot dogs. I don't even know what those are actually. Oh, it's terrible. Mm. It's terrible. Hey, speaking of football, no football this weekend. Oh, wait, wrong. There is football this weekend. The XFL is uh, <laughs> going with its third season. I like how they do it. They do a total slacker podcast schedule. They did a season in the early 2000s. They did a season in like 2020. Now they're doing one in 2023. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> this time, though, and they have a different owner each time. This time it's it's The Rock. The Rock owns the XFL now. Well, what do you know? Good for him, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why, I'm, not good for him. I mean, you know, like we don't like owners in general on the show. No, yeah, but. true. But he is a showman, so uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he can make the XFL work. Not that I care if it doesn't work, because like I, I don't really support this sport. Um, but mm -hmm. I was watching just before we started recording. I was downstairs and ESPN was on and they were doing a promo for the XFL and it was the rock talking about how this time's different. What makes this XFL stand apart from the other times? What, what makes us unique? And I kid you not what he next said was it's the uniforms and then proceeded into I don't know how long the thing was going to last, but like breaking down the uniform style and logo and stitch 
of each of the eight teams in the XFL. I like by the second team, I just was like, fuck it, I'm gonna go record the podcast. But I was genuinely curious, like, oh, are they doing rule changes? What's different? What are they doing here? What's unique? And he legit was said the uniforms. That's what makes it stand. And the uniforms look like shit. They look like shit. They don't even look as good as like the college uniforms when they do the alt- the alternate game rush uniforms or whatever. Anyway. All right. Let's uh enough let's with the X- XFL. If you enjoy that shit, good luck. You got more action this weekend, I guess. Garbage candidate number one, Norfolk Southern, of course. Hey, they derailed a second train this week. Uh, that happened in southern Michigan. Uh, luckily, this doesn't seem to be as damaging as the one in East Palestine. There was liquid chlorine on the train, but it wasn't one of the cars that tipped over on the ground. Uh, there's an investigation going on. Well, when when you do what you love, it doesn't feel like work. And Norfolk Southern loves derailing trains. It it, it seems it seems like that. Sure, based seems on like the it. track record. But let's let's be fair to all the other major freight rail companies. They do too. They do too. There's a uh, a lot of these every year, and the media is right now paying attention to them. Um, so. You know, for a few weeks, we're going to hear about each derailment that happens and how many of them are Norfolk Southerns. Um, By the way, Norfolk Southern, there was a community town hall event in East Palestine to where residents who are uh, obviously freaked out about what's happening and are unsure about the quality of their air and water want to talk to officials and especially want to talk to Norfolk Southern officials about how they're going to fix this mess that they created. And Norfolk Southern just didn't show up. They didn't show up. They were invited. They said they were going to show, and then they didn't show up because they said they couldn't vouch for the safety of their employees, or their representatives that would be there. Due to outside groups. So, you know, they didn't say it, but they meant Antifa. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Yeah, it's going to be hard to beat Norfolk Southern this week. Yeah, we'll also throw in the Pete Buttigieg defenders uh, that we already talked about in there with Norfolk Southern. Nice. If, if they're picked. Okay. So the rest of the can is just a formality then. Well, we'll see. We'll see. There's some good There's some good candidates in here. As you say every week, ooh, boy, those are some strong candidates. This might be <laughs> the strongest week yet. Garbage <laughs> candidate number two, Elon Musk. He's back. Oh, Okay. He's back. Okay. I think he took a week or two off from the list. He's threatening to fire engineers at Twitter unless they boost his tweets. This is according to Platformer. And he already did fire an engineer because he was grilling his team about why his tweets aren't getting as many impressions as President Biden's Super Bowl tweets. And an engineer was like, well, maybe you're just not as popular as Biden is. And your popularity has definitely waned over the last few months. Not as many people are into you, Elon. He fired that person. (laughs) And then he threatened to fire the other engineers until they fixed this problem. (laughs) So now, uh, according to Platformer, Musk's tweets are getting amplified by like a thousand times what a regular person's tweets are being amplified. So it's why if you haven't yet blocked Musk, he's all over your fucking timeline all the time. Yeah, I guess I 
blocked him or muted him. I can't remember what I did, but a lot of people are blocking him and not because like they're like, oh, I don't want to, you know, a lot of these people are people who would gawk at the weird shit that he said before, but he's just putting his thumb on the scale. It's just annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Musk also engaged in some pretty egregious union busting at a Buffalo Tesla plant. Workers there on Tuesday announced they were organizing. They're organizing with Workers United. Uh, These are workers who, they're like software workers who work on the autopilot features. Um, They said that they want better wages, benefits, and they want the persistent surveillance of them to stop. Uh, They're constantly monitored on the work they're doing, which pressures them to skip their breaks to meet quotas and shit. So they announced they're unionizing the very next day. Dozens of them are fired. Um, the union workers United has filed complaint with the NLRB. Like this seems pretty obvious, but Musk has been obvious before and has been busted by the NLRB for union busting. Uh, and it hasn't really stopped them. Oh, and by the way, there's also a massive recall of 360,000 Teslas because the self-driving software causes crashes. <laughs> ah, who who could have who could have found that out other than everyone on the internet and people with cell phone cameras who've recorded these things <laughs> going off the rails, going off the invisible rails. Yeah, the people who watched. The Super Bowl ad that was all anti-Elon and all anti-Tesla. Of course, it was financed by a competing self-driving car uh, company, but still presented all facts. Yeah, when the, when the facts are on your side, it's like, damn. Well, what can you do? Who cares if it's a competitor? They have they have a point. Their product is probably better than yours. <laughs> but either way, they have a point. <laughs> Absolutely. Garbage candidate number three, the Wall Street Journal, which published some god awful shit this week. First, it was a resignation letter from the Republican FTC commissioner, Christine Wilson. uh, Resigning in protest, attacking the agency for its lawlessness and particularly chair Lena Khan. She cited the new rule being worked on by the FTC that would prohibit non-compete clauses saying it violates a Supreme court ruling, the EPA versus West Virginia Supreme court ruling in 2022, which, okay, 2022, that shit doesn't count. And yet like that, that's not, there is no, there is no precedent set in 2022. You can't tattle to the Supreme court after you lose a policy battle because you're no longer in the majority at the FTC. I mean, you can, you probably will win, but it is pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) She's also going through the revolving door, isn't she? The the good folks at the revolving door project, you know, they flagged that she had, um, you know. Oh, did they flag it? Did did it confirm? They confirmed it? I know they questioned whether she was. I don't know if it had been confirmed yet. She had gone from private sector to to government and that they were that it's likely she will go right back. Yeah. And, I mean, where uh, else is she going to go? <laughs> she's just looking to make, make a, uh, make a scene as she walks out. 
Yeah, I mean, where else is she going to go? Yeah, Good where else is she going to go? She could probably but, retire. She's probably rich enough to retire yeah, if she wanted. But also, now that you've been an FTC commissioner, your uh, resume, you're going to be able to cash out and get the big bucks. Oh, yeah. Also, the Wall Street Journal wrote an article about how the price of breakfast food is very highly inflated. The article did not mention why it is highly inflated, which is corporate consolidation and profit seeking among these industries. Instead, it encouraged people to just skip breakfast to deal with it. Hmm. Just skip breakfast. A, mod- a modest proposal. Just have a cigarette and some water. You'll be fine. But folks, it gets worse. Garbage candidate number four, the New York Times. The transphobia emanating out of the Times is getting out of hand. So much so that a thousand, more than a thousand current and former contributors to the paper signed an open letter criticizing it. The letter says, quote, we write to you as a collective of New York Times contributors with serious concerns about editorial bias in the newspaper's reporting on transgender, non-binary and gender non-conforming people. Plenty of reporters at the Times cover trans issues fairly. The work is eclipsed, however, by what one journalist has calculated as over 15,000 words of front page Times coverage debating the propriety of medical care for trans children published in the last eight months alone. The Times has in recent years treated gender diversity with an eerily familiar mix of pseudoscience and euphemistic and charged language while publishing reporting on trans children that omits relevant information about its sources. So, you know, thousands of people sign a letter of concern to the New York Times about their coverage of transgender issues. The very next day, the Times publishes an article titled, in defense of J.K. Rowling. Hmm. Hmm. I know I said this on the show recently, but it reminds me of the Times uh, <laughs> reporting on Hitler in the 20s, being <laughs> like, hey, not that bad of a fellow. And I know I'm, I'm sure there's some, maybe there's some gender critical fucking freak out there listening to this, be like, oh, they, they just compared J.K. Rowling to Hitler uh, like this is how unhinged they are. Why don't you compare your own views on transgender people to the Nazis' views on transgender people and get fucking back to me? New York Times gets even worse. They sent a memo to staff after this letter was sent. The uh, bosses there sent a letter attacking staff members for signing onto the letter. They accused the staff of signing on to an activist cause to attack fellow journalists and then referenced a separate letter sent to the paper by GLAAD, which is an advocacy group. But that wasn't the letter. The other letter was just by Times employees. There were two letters that the Times got. And rather than talking about the one that the employees sent them, they accused the employees of signing on to the GLAAD letter and attacked the GLAAD letter. So the bosses either intentionally or ignorantly conflated two different letters so as to not bother addressing the detailed, the very detailed concerns and legitimate concerns laid out in the employee's letter. The Times, uh, there's there's no more need for it. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of the New York Times. New York, New York out of times. Bye-bye. <laughs> Garbage candidate. 
Number five. The failing New York Times. The failing New York Times. Get a load of this. Garbage candidate number five, Eli Lake. Now, there's a name I haven't thought about in a bit. Blast from the past. That is a throwback. One of the old school enemies of the District Sentinel. Of the two Sams. Uh, Eli wrote a piece talking about the Iraq War 20 years later, published in Commentary, titled The Iraq War. Which is the Podhoretz Family Magazine, which basically is heavily subsidized. Like, no one actually wants to read this, by the way. It is hemorrhaging money. I just felt like I should throw that out there. (laughs) The article's titled The Iraq War 20 Years Later. It wasn't the disaster everyone now says it was. Now, Mm. Eli is obviously invested in this as a journalist who helped push the Iraq war cause back in 2002. And uh, ever since has been a dunce online. (laughs) But he writes in this article, during Saddam's reign, only a small number of Iraqis had cell phone subscriptions. As of 2021, 86% of the country had a wireless telecom plan. The country was under crippling sanctions during Saddam's reign. Yeah. I believe uh, even the most fucking disgraceful Bathist could have easily rebutted that, being like, Eli, you absolute fucking dog, you insane simpleton. Also, like, during Saddam's reign, that stretches back pretty far before cell phones. So, and also, I mean, go back just to fucking 2000. Go back to 1995, 2000. Compare cell phone rates in the U.S. to what they are today. Okay, but even giving him the benefit of the doubt and like saying, okay, in 2002, uh, cell phones were widespread, common use, whatever. Like the country was under very strong sanctions. They had every excuse to have a failing economy because this was the plan of of the international community to make the Iraqi economy fail. Yeah. It's like, you know, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you making your own economy fail? Lake goes on to write, quote, to evaluate the war that rid Iraq of a sadistic crime family, one must imagine what Iraq would have resembled had Saddam or his sons remained in power. And that I light- got to stop you there. I got to stop you there because Literally, the first thing you learn in a high school history class is that the counterfactual is not an argument. You can't fight an argument based on something that never fucking existed. It's an even weaker fallacy when the world has completely broken since the Iraq War. (laughs) The region has completely erupted and we've been at war in various states and since then. It's been a total disaster. Total disaster. He, even he if wrote, even if Saddam being removed is somehow better, the consequences of that don't even come close to making it worth it. Well, Eli, Eli went on to, to write that uh, that the plagues of corruption, ethnic militias, and Iranian influence look like a bargain uh, compared to Again, a, a completely fabricated, imagined 
uh, Iraq under Saddam. And Eli writes this as someone thousands of miles away who made his career on the war, who lives comfortably in Northwest Washington, D.C., literally fucking dining off of dead Iraqis' corpses. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands. And Eli has the nerve to, from thousands of miles away to be like, you know what? The war was actually good. Wasn't such a bad idea after ass. all. It whipped ass for you, Eli. How many dinners did you have paid for because of the war? Good job, buddy. Yeah. Garbage candidate number six, Packer Sanitation Services. The Department of Labor invest a Department of Labor investigation found that the company employed 102 children as young as 13 mm. working in hazardous overnight jobs cleaning slaughterhouses across eight states. They cleaned dangerous equipment like back saws, brisket saws, and head splitters, whatever the fuck a head splitter is. Uh, that sounds dangerous. The company responded saying that it was pleased to learn that the kids no longer are employed there. Quote, as soon as we became aware of the Department of Labor's allegations, we conducted multiple additional audits of our employee base. Our audits and DOL's investigation confirmed that none of the individuals Department of Labor cited as under the age of 18 work for the company today. And many had separated from employment multiple years ago. So it's fine, guys. Oh, it's fine. Water under the bridge. It's fine. It's fine. Unfortunately, the Department of Labor also thinks it's fine. It only fined the company $1.5 million. The company brought in $460 million in revenue last year. Who? I got to say, child labor is up there in terms of uh, garbage can offenses. And then I remember that we tacked on Pete Buttigieg supporters to the... Uh, to the first it's candidate. sort of yeah, it sort of made it a super candidate didn't it it's almost not yeah. fair but i think we look there were a lot of good candidates this week there were there were they ran into a train wreck and it's it's fucked up for them norfolk, norfolk southern, southern and people to judge defenders you are going in the garbage, garbage can. can Ooh, uh pete you'll feel right at home there there's rats in the garbage can <laughs> oh there's my cousin my cousin's here. Yeah, what are the eight languages you speak? You better speak speak rap. <laughs> That's the show. Fucker. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thanks for your support. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. We're here in DC, so you don't have to be.